We've been in a series of messages on the characters of Christmas. We're now on message four. Now, you know, when I, when I received this challenge, I, I started to look at I said, oh, we can do this, these people. We can do this person. We can do that person. Uh, and, and I even just grabbed the, the shepherds out. Not, and that was before I really knew I thought, wow, those shepherds, there's not a lot said about them. They're shepherds. <laughs> but there's a lot uh, when you look at the, the magnitude of what is said and what we do know about them. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And our Bible characters of Christmas today that we're going to cover are the shepherds. Luke chapter 2, we're going to begin reading with verse 8. And read through verse 20, Luke chapter 2, verse 8, and read through to verse 20. Chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. That seems to be a running theme, doesn't it? And all the people that we've looked at so far of our Christmas characters, whoever came to bring in the message has to tell them not to be afraid. And the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The angel just gave him the address. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Isn't that powerful? When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Isn't that powerful? By way of an introduction, I'd like to reveal to you that I believe Christmas time, I mean, it's filled with tradition. I love it. I love putting up Christmas tree. I love bright lights. I love celebration. One tradition that some families have is to read the Christmas story on Christmas morning. I know we like to do that. We read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. All of those verses they have to do with. Anybody else here do that? Yeah? All right. All right. Uh, in these verses, God teaches us that a census has been ordered in the land. Residents are to return to the city of their lineage. This brings Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem because they are in the line of David. While they're there, the Son of God is born just as prophesied in Scripture. Out in the field, shepherds are watching their flocks. As shepherds, these characters of Christmas provide a different perspective on the Christmas story, reminding us that the gospel reaches all people. The first main observation that I, I put in bold letters is, a message of hope is heard. Do you know not all stories 
uh, include a message of hope. Some of them are filled with tragedy. I'm reminded of one such story. Have you ever heard of the tragic tale where it started off with the words, I never thought that something like this could ever happen in our town? Have you ever heard that phrase before? There was a man named Paul Rickenbacker. He'd walked into a local mall in a city in the south and fatally wounded many of the townspeople where he lived. He was soon captured and taken into custody. His crime and arrest made national news and was the talk of the country because it was the largest tragedy in history at that public venue. When arrested, Paul confessed to the crime and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. The townspeople, I remember when reading the story, they were very happy when they heard that Paul's life would be spent for the rest of his life, no chance of parole. He'd be in prison forever. And the people they interviewed, you got the idea real fast that they hated this man. They hated him. There was hardly anyone in the town where they lived that weren't touched by this uh, catastrophe because it wasn't a great big city. And a lot of people, new people that had died in that tragic event, and they hated this man. We'll come back to this story. In Luke's gospel, we learned that on the same day Jesus is born in Bethlehem, there are shepherds in the fields around Bethlehem who are doing their job. They're watching over the flocks. Now, this is the amazing thing that I learned about shepherds by looking at the history of the world uh, in this part of the world at this time. What I found out was that the first group of people that God had decided to send an angel to after the birth of Christ were these shepherds. And here's what I learned. Shepherds by this time were not a very popular group of people. They were considered social misfits, thieves, and religious outcasts. I didn't know that until I began to study about them. And I, I began to wonder, God, what are you going to tell me about these characters Christmas characters of the Bible. Uh, every, everybody else is getting this top billing kind of thing. And, and, and you were learning all these wonderful and powerful things about uh, great people doing great things by listening to God and obeying God. And now we get to the shepherds. And we find out, though, the amazing part of this story is that God chose to go to a bunch of misfits, the lowest rung of the ladder people, to announce that a Savior is born. Amen? Shepherds were considered unclean. They were not able to participate in most of the temple worship. They spent their entire lives just taking care of sheep. Their job was dangerous at times, but was mostly boring and tedious. While we don't know how many shepherds there were, the plural usage of the term helps us conclude there were multiple shepherds in the field. I find this point striking that this unpopular group of people is the first group to whom God announces the birth of his son. Luke tells us that it was night when the shepherds were watching their flocks in the fields. I think that setting is significant. On a clear night, away from city lights, we can gaze into the night sky and see the multitude of stars. Bethlehem was not a big city. And we can imagine the darkness that consumed the shepherds on this extremely 
special night. This setting was not unusual for shepherds, but what is about to happen is something we still talk about today. Amen? God dispatches an angel to this region of the world with a special announcement and invitation. In verse 10, the message comes from a singular unnamed angel and concludes with a host of angels giving praise to God for the peace he has provided to the earth through his son. I've got a question for you. Now these shepherds were out in the field. It's dark when an angel comes and announced that a Savior's been born in this world. I have a question for you. Can you remember where you were and who God sent your way to announce Jesus and invite you to follow him? Do you remember that? Ah, the shepherds remember it, but they cheated. They had angels. Amen? They remember because angels showed up. An angel initially, and then a chorus of angels joined later singing praises to God, they had the opportunity to sing praises to God with angels. Man, I think that's fantastic. But do you remember when, when and where and who was the angelic messenger that brought this truth to you that set you free? Maybe you were a young child or a teenager or a young adult when you heard the life-changing message of the gospel. But consider this. God used that person at a precise time in your life to save your soul and to bring you peace. Amen? For the shepherds of the night sky lights up with the glory of God and all those sitting in the fields were overcome by the light's intensity. This sudden appearance in the dark sky brings fear on the shepherds. I think we would have all been the same way. I wrote a phrase here, I don't know, it doesn't sound fitting. I think we would all jumped out of our skin at the appearance in the middle of the night. The first words from the angel's mouth are to calm their fears, as we found out is common. But reread the scripture at this moment and listen to the angel's words. And I got this out of the Amplified Bible because I love it. The angel then goes into detail about who Jesus is. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Rescuer, a Redeemer, a Deliverer, who is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Lord, the Master, the Ruler. Packed into that one statement is rich theology. The Savior has been born to rescue us from our sin. The Savior is the promised Messiah, the Anointed One, spoken of in the Old Testament, whom the Jewish people anticipated. This announcement brings a whole lot more angels, amen, in the night sky who bring God praise and glory he rightly deserves because peace is the result of this joyful good news. Just as fast as the angels appeared in the sky, they vanished from sight, and the shepherds are plunged into darkness once again. I want to visit Paul Rickenbacker again. By the time he had served 10 years, of his life sentence, he came to the realization that every Saturday morning during that time, a Bible study had been held in the prison. A local church had adopted the prison, and they came to share God's word and be an encouragement for the inmates. Paul never attended these services. He never thought they were important. He often thought of them as a waste of time. But one Saturday, Paul sensed the need down deep inside 
to attend. He didn't know what to expect, but what he heard changed his life. The gentleman sharing the devotion that morning spoke about the good news. Paul learned that a Savior had come to rescue him from the bondage of sin and redeem him from a life in sin. Somehow this resonated in Paul's life because he understood what literal bondage was but had no idea the impact of sin on his eternal life. As Paul sat quietly in his metal chair in a state-issued orange jumpsuit, God grabbed a hold of his life and Paul gave his life to Christ. Every week since that moment, Paul's been discipled by the man who gave the devotion that day. And his life has never been the same. Is Paul's story and our story really all that different? Is it really even all that different from the, the shepherds out there in that field? The lowest rung of the ladder, socially speaking. Rejected, you know, by even in temple worship. Not allowed to go to church, really, and participate the way others were allowed to. Is any of our conversions any different? And the reason why I ask you this is because without Christ, all of our destiny is identical. No matter what we did or what we didn't do without Christ, all of our destiny is the same as Paul Rickenbacker's. No different. We're no different than those shepherds out there in the field. The next observation I had was the message heard is proclaimed to others. Back in the fields outside Bethlehem, the shepherds sat around discussing what they had just witnessed. The angel had told them who the baby was and how they could find him. The angel said the sign they were to look for that would identify the Savior was a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, which was normal for any newborn at that time. Placed in a manger, though which was certainly not normal in that day, a feeding trough for animals in a barn. This is what the shepherds were to look for in the city of Bethlehem. Stop with me for a moment and let this idea impact your thinking. God arranges a census to be taken in the land. This causes Mary and Joseph to travel from Galilee to Bethlehem to be registered. God was working behind the scenes to bring prophetic scripture to fulfillment. Now think about the manger scene. You know, the manger is the very essence of humility. Isaiah 53 teaches us that the Messiah did not come in the royalty he deserved. No one would see a halo around his head as he walked through the streets in his lifetime, but his humility would serve as our example to follow today. The beginning of the Messiah's days on earth started in great humility as he was placed in a feeding trough for animals. Jesus, however, would later teach that he was the bread of life. With Jesus, there would be no hunger or thirsting. So maybe being placed in a feeding trough was fitting for the one who is the bread of life. The shepherds decide very quickly to head into town to find the Savior. Luke tells us they left in haste to find the one as told by the angel. The angel does not tell the shepherds to go, but how else could they find the Savior? It was the shepherds' decision to go and find the Savior. One can only imagine the faces of those present in the stable when the first people to show up to welcome the Son of God were the lowest people 
on the social circle of life. We have company. We have visitors. Shepherds. Shepherds. Remember, these were not the guys people wanted to be around. Yet it's this group of unpopular people that first came to see the Savior. As they come into the place where Jesus is, they communicate to everyone there who's listening the message that they heard from the angel out in the field. This is the Savior who is Christ the Lord. Packed into that one statement is the good news everyone needs to hear. The text tells us that those who heard what the shepherd said stood in amazement and wondered at what they heard, but Mary sat by the manger and pondered what they said in her heart. Mary was famous for hiding things in her heart and letting God bring them to pass. She knew who the baby was, and this unpopular group of misfits, misfits has arrived to confirm it. They make her ponder this wonderful moment as she looks into the face of her Savior and her Messiah. The shepherds leave the site where Jesus is and return to the fields. Now, however, they've got a spring in their step and a new song of praise as they return to their work. Paul Rickenbacker sat in his cell and spent most of his waking hours reading the scriptures and growing in Christ. Paul's crime had made national news. The massacre in the mall 10 years earlier surpassed anything in prior history. But 10 years had passed and Paul was a new person inside and out. A major news network decided to revisit the tragedy and run a special on TV. They wanted to interview Paul and learn more about that day. Paul spent the hour-long interview answering questions. As the interview came to an end, Paul shared with the viewing audience how the Lord saved him and changed his life. He explained that he was a new person because of the gospel. And he called on others to believe. Many people did not buy what he was saying. Even some in the Christian community did not believe him. Many people did not buy what he was saying. Even some in the Christian community uh, failed to believe him. They thought a man who committed such a crime could not come to Christ. But that is the amazing thing about grace. The message that this hated man heard is the message he proclaimed to others, just like the unpopular shepherds heard the message of hope and proclaimed it to others. Like the shepherds, Paul Rickenbacker had a new song of praise in his heart. In conclusion, the story of the shepherds reminds us of and helps us to understand the reach of the gospel to all people. The shepherds heard and were impacted by the gospel. This group of people who were unpopular in society. Seen as criminal. And without a religious bone in their bodies. This is the group that God chose to speak to in the field. Then the shepherds became the first missionaries of the gospel. The lowly men went quickly and shared what they had heard with others. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. It is God's grace that saves a person through faith. The gospel reaches into the lives of all people with a message of hope. 
and salvation. God has entrusted believers with this life-saving message of hope. As believers, we have to understand that the gospel reaches all people. A lesson we can learn from the shepherds of Christmas. Stand with me this morning. Father, I want to thank you once again for your word. I once remember you, Father, dealing with me about the ability to preach on any singular scripture in the Bible, no matter what the subject is or what it says. And I said, well, Father, some scriptures, they're, they're kind of vague. And the, you reminded me, Father, that when Jesus stopped by that well one day, it says that he healed a crippled man that was by that pool. And I thought, well, I could say a lot about that compassion of Christ. And I could say a lot about the man that was laying close to the pool, ready to be touched by Jesus. But you reminded me, Father, that hundreds of thousands of people at that very moment were en route to Jerusalem for the Passover. And you told me that hundreds of thousands of people were doing something religious while Jesus was busy changing a man's life. I want to thank you for that, Father. That there's a sermon in every passage of Scripture in the Bible. And even when there's these lowly men out in the field in the dark of night, watching over dirty animals. That's what, that's what I read about the history of shepherds. But they were the first people you went to. And if shepherds and rejects of society of that day can share Jesus Christ, then so can we. Father, we want to buck the tide of popular opinion. Popular opinion says we're in a pandemic. You can't do this, you can't do that. Father, we're even making arrangements during the pandemic with your guidance and your direction to be able to do more for your glory. Less for ourselves and more for others. But Father, we can feed the hungry. We can help the homeless. And those are things that Jesus said our Christianity is supposed to look like. But Father, more importantly, is the salvation of lost souls. We like to feed the hungry. And help the homeless because it shows the love of Christ in our life for them. But help us, Father, to boldly share the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Father, if, if we work together as a body and, and strive and pray and spend time on our knees and only one person gets saved, then it was all worth it. All worth it. But Father, I believe you're going to bring great revival to our midst. You're going to defy the direction the world's going in for us and on our behalf and help us to defy the direction the world's going in. Help us, Father, while the world is pushing back against you. Help us to run to you, to dig in deep, to embrace you, Father. Help us to live lives that are pleasing to you. Thank you for letting this message touch our lives today. Watch over us, Father. As we depart from this place today, we want to give you glory and honor and praise for all of your goodness, for all of your help. But most of all, just for being God, 
just for being who you are. The fact that you love us the way you do is so amazing. It just shows the character, your character, Father. Thank you for loving us. Watch over us as we depart this place today. Help us to live our lives in a pleasing manner to you. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. God bless you. If you can help, help me and Ronnie out. That's what, I'm gonna, that's what I'll say. If you can help me and Ronnie out, uh, we're collecting finances so that we can help feed a big family. Right, Ronnie? Eleven. Is that just 11 children or including mom and dad? Eleven. Okay. Praise God. God bless you. Let's fellowship together before we depart today.